0: Welcome to WADA, ADA Live Talk Radio. Brought to you by Southeast ADA Center, your leader for information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act. And here's your host. Good
1: afternoon, and welcome to WADA, ADA Live. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University and the ADA National Network, welcome to the 39th episode of ADA Live. My name is Celestia Arosta. I am the Information Technology Consultant for the Southeast ADA Center and today's host. The topic of today's show is Universal Design, Accessibility, and the ADA. I would like to introduce our speakers, Michael Rotella and Diana Foote. Diana is the Executive Director of the Global Universal Design Commission, an organization that promotes the understanding and use of universal design in the development of buildings, products, and environments. She is also Director of Operations and the Business Manager for the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University. Michael is the Associate Director of the Global Universal Design Commission. As the Associate Director, Michael is responsible for universal design-related outreach, working directly with developers, providing tours and lectures, creating access-related content, and working to increase awareness of inclusion. Michael uses his own experience with disability to inform his role at the GUDC. ADA um, listening audience, you can submit your questions about universal design, accessibility, and the ADA at any time on adalive.org. Michael
2: and Diana, welcome to our show. We appreciate this opportunity to be on your show and the opportunity to increase awareness of the goals of universal design.
3: Thanks for having us. It's
2: great that you're here. So
1: let's start out here. Um, We've been hearing a lot about accessibility, inclusiveness, and universal design. The first question I have for you is, What is universal design and how is it different than accessibility or inclusion or are they the same
2: thing, just labeled differently? The three concepts are related, however, accessibility and inclusion are actually two potential goals of using universal design, but they aren't the only goals. The idea is that universal design allows a specific item to be used by everyone within that set of potential end users. A website can be a universally designed website if it empowers all potential end users to access it. The same goes for a building. Universal design is about planning and it's aspirational. It's beyond compliance in nature.
3: So universal design uh, is, is essentially the overarching design process that aims to allow Uh, use of a space product or other item for all people regardless of ability. So there are seven principles that it's based upon, and those principles are by Ron Mace uh, from the Center for Universal Design, and I'll go through those principles for you now. Principle number one is equitable use, so that's creating designs that are useful to people with diverse abilities. Principle two is flexibility in use, so that means that a design accommodates individual preferences and abilities. Principle three is simple and intuitive use. That simply means that a design is easy to understand regardless of a user's ability, experience, knowledge, language skills, and a number of other things. So principle number four is perceptible information. So that means that the design should communicate the necessary information effectively regardless of conditions or the user's sensory abilities. So principle five is tolerance for error which means that a design should minimize the hazards and consequences of accidental actions using an item. Principle six is low physical effort, and that means that a design should be usable in an efficient and comfortable way with a minimum of fatigue to the user. And the final one, principle seven, is size and space for approach and use. This means that a design provides appropriate size and space for approach, reach, manipulation, and use regardless of a user's body size, uh, posture, or mobility.
1: Michael, thank you for providing and describing the seven principles of universal design. I believe that by breaking a concept down into some basic principles, it makes it easier for us to understand what universal design is all about. Let's move on to the next question I have for you. The case for making our society more universally accessible and usable is very compelling. Can you describe some of the benefits of universal design?
3: Yes. When you design something uh, with just the most able groups and individuals in mind, often what you end up with is exclusion for those people who don't meet that level of ability. So while we have building codes and we have ADA standards, they help to lessen exclusion. Universal design is a little bit different. Universal design, when it approaches something, it asks the, the question, how do we solve a problem with respect to all ability levels and de- uh, deliver something functional, aesthetically pleasing, and universally accessible? So it's it's kind of about uh, aspiration, as Diana said, and innovation. And while it's rooted in solving problems for the least able, it's meant to solve problems for everyone at once. Universal design doesn't guarantee that. It definitely provides us with a guide and helps us develop strategies to achieve it.
2: Yes, um, universal design looks at ability as fluid and on a broad spectrum. People can be on points of the spectrum at different stages in life, for temporary reasons, or due to a permanent disability. Universal design helps us to plan and create in a way that maximizes inclusive use for as many people as possible. Instead of creating one design and then altering it or retrofitting it to be accessible, The universal design creates one design with many ways to be used by many users to the greatest extent possible. For example, a clear benefit to a restaurant owner who builds a restaurant incorporating as many of the UD strategies as possible would be the increased number of potential customers. When a restaurant is inaccessible to a person with a disability, they lose not only that person as a customer, but also that person's friends and family members too. I appreciate the concept of
1: a strategy. And you provided the example of, the very broad example of a restaurant using the strategy of universal design. Can you provide some more specific examples of universal design?
3: Uh, Sure, I can uh, provide three for you. Uh, So the first one is uh, an automatic eye door opener at a supermarket. So everyone knows what that is. It's essentially the, the door that opens as you approach it with your cart. And as far as universal design goes, that creates, that's a system that allows anybody of any level of ability to independently enter the supermarket. It sees you coming, and it it activates the door and opens. So like the person who at a normal door, somebody with uh, any sort of disability, uh, they might have trouble getting in the building, but with uh, automated eye door like that, they're able to just enter, and it also provides equal benefit for everyone else as far as convenience. Another example that's somewhat related is, uh, you know, there's automated entry systems for parking lots. So normally a parking lot or parking garage has a gate, and you you pull up your car, and as you try to enter, you need to uh, put your window down, and you need to reach out and either probably punch in a code or swipe a card to make the gate function but there are systems that rely on sort of an RFID-type scanner uh, that would allow you to just pull up, and if you have that affixed in your vehicle, you would be granted access, and you wouldn't need to reach out your window. So when we talk about ability levels, while people with all sorts of levels of ability can often can drive, there are some things they can't do as far as, like, reaching out the window and putting in that code. So having a system where there's no input, it, it isn't specifically made to be universal design but it ends up achieving that goal and another one that I like to give that's uh, kind of a more specific universal design example because of the planning that goes into it is an on-grade flat entry to a building so when you design a building there are choices of how you design an entryway so there can be an entryway that might have a step and that means you need to build now you need to now build another entryway that's accessible but you know universal design says Why don't we just not have a step at all so that everybody can go in the same door? As far as the planning point of view, that's really, uh, I think, a a pretty good example of uh, universal design and uh, something that achieves all those goals of inclusion and lets everybody enter the same door no matter their ability level.
1: Yeah, those are great examples, and it sort of lets me understand a little bit more when we talk about universal because I know I appreciate – all of those um, conveniences, I think of you know like the easy pass system on the throughway where you know you're not punching numbers in, you just sort of flow right through where the curb stops and you know all of that. so definitely gives me a better understanding of what you mean by universal design for everyone. ADA Live listening audience, if you have a question about universal design, please submit it at any time at our online forum at ada live.org now a word from our
0: sponsors Global Universal Design Commission, Incorporated, a not-for-profit corporation, was established to develop universal design standards for buildings, products, and services. Global Universal Design Commission is currently developing Universal Design's Voluntary Consensus Standards for Commercial Buildings, which will expand access to buildings for all people, regarding physical statute and varying abilities. The approved universal design standards will guide corporations and government entities in the creation of barrier-free facilities, providing diverse users with access to commerce, public service, entertainment, and employment opportunities. To learn more, visit their website at globaluniversaldesign.org.
1: Welcome back to our show. We're talking with Michael Rutella and Diana Foote from the Global Universal Design Commission. We're discussing universal design, accessibility, and the ADA. Before the break, you provided some examples of universal design. Can you give an example of a universal design building and explain some specific universal design features?
2: Here in Syracuse, New York, the Global Universal Design Commission is involved in a 62-unit apartment complex, opening soon, called the Destiny Arms. It features a lengthy list of accessible and universal design strategies to achieve a high level of access. It's an upscale living option meant for everyone, and it's very livable for people with disabilities.
3: Uh, So one feature in Destiny Arms that uh, is one of the strategies in place to achieve universal design is the entry system for the front entrance of the building. So that functions with an RFID sensor carried on your person, and as you approach the, uh, the entry, the door will unlock, unlatch, and open and it'll stay open for a set amount of time depending on your specification and, and your need. So someone on foot might take, you know, five to ten seconds to get through that door, and that would that system allows for that. But when it comes to someone with uh, less ability or in a higher level of need, perhaps they need 30 seconds or 45 seconds to get through. The system would also be able to be specified to that. Uh, so it's a great system that kind of provides this tailored access based on the individuals need, and that kind of illustrates another point of universal design. Uh, you know, we plan and we we do all these steps to figure out how to include the most people. The system uh, also calls the elevator as you're entering. So, the idea there is that it someone with a disability can uh, easily get um, get in and do it do it independently, and everybody else is having a high level of amenity and uh, convenience as they enter. Just to give a little bit more background on why this is universal design. Now, I'd like to talk about three potential renters at uh, Destiny Arms that would equally benefit. So, as I mentioned, someone with a disability using some sort of mobility device can get in the building independently and easily with no real input. So, whether or not they can reach out and hit the accessible button to open the door doesn't matter because the door just does it itself. And then the second thing is, you know, someone just walking in carrying their groceries. They're conveniently able to get in the building they don't have to put the groceries down they don't have to spin around and prop the door open it it helps them a lot and then the third person is you know uh someone pushing a child in the stroller as they enter the building they're able to just approach it it opens and they're able to get in there's no pushing the stroller aside or jockeying around with that everyone just gets in the same way very easily and customizable
1: that sounds like a wonderful place to live destiny arms in syracuse new york Let's shift gears here and talk about codes and standards. Does Universal Design have a set of standards or a checklist to follow? And how do these standards compare to ADA standards?
2: Universal Design is voluntary in comparison to government-established codes or the ADA standards. The Global Universal Design Commission has a certification system for commercial buildings and that we're developing them for uh, residential buildings. It does not have specific codes, but instead relies on a set of strategies to achieve greater access. The more strategies that a building system uses, the higher it scores. There's extra points for special innovations as well. It's applied on a project-specific basis and can be scaled as necessary, depending on the project.
3: So the ADA standards provide uh, the codes and specifications and universal design essentially begins anywhere beyond that. But both the ADA standards and universal design as a design philosophy and process intend to achieve accessibility and inclusion.
1: Thank you for that clarification there. So universal design doesn't have set standards, but it's just it's going above and beyond what's required. ADA Live listening audience, if you have a question about universal design, please submit it at any time at our online forum at adalive.org. Now a word from our sponsors.
0: The Southeast ADA Center is your leader in providing information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act and disability access tailored to the needs of business, government, and individuals at local, state, and regional levels. The Southeast ADA Center, located in Atlanta, Georgia, is a member of the ADA National Network and serves eight states in the Southeast region. For answers to your ADA questions, contact the ADA National Network at 1-800-949-4232.
1: Welcome back to our show. We're talking with Michael Rotella and Diana Foote from the Global Universal Design Commission. We're discussing universal design, accessibility, and the ADA. We've talked about the benefits and examples of universal design. I was wondering if universal design can be applied to existing structures or if this would be too cost prohibitive and considered only for new structures.
3: Uh, Universal design uh, can be applied to any structure, whether it's a complete build or a renovation. It can also be applied to indoor and outdoor environments and just about anywhere else.
2: Cost depends greatly on the project. For example, the cost for renovating existing structures will vary depending on the age, the size, and the condition of that structure or those structures. There are no real, real rules as far as cost, so it's very hard to say. Universal design can be applied anywhere and has been. It's much more important to keep, this, keep in mind the benefits gained when evaluating the possible additional costs to integrate UD strategies.
3: So two of the Global Universal Design Commission's major projects were actually done on uh, pre-existing buildings. Sydney Arms is actually over 100 years old. And the interesting thing about it is that there are brand new buildings that are not up to par with the accessibility of what Destiny Arms has, and you know, as Diana said, there are really few rules in universal design, and the cost really depends on what one's trying to achieve. So it can be very little, and it can be, and it goes up from there. It really just depends on the the objective and the level of accessibility that someone's trying to achieve, and also the the type of application.
1: As the directors of the Global Universal Design Commission,
2: can you explain what the role is um, of the GUDC? Well, as mentioned at the top of the show, the Global Universal Design Commission is a not-for-profit corporation. It was established to develop universal design standards for buildings, products, and services. We're involved in all aspects of expanding knowledge about universal design, developing a body of universal design research, working with builders, architects, and developers, and working to increase the adoption of the universal design concept.
3: Just to give you an example of some specific things that I'm working on. So right now I'm working on two parallel studies in universal design. One is on the Mary Freebed YMCA in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and one is on Destiny Arms in Syracuse. Both of these buildings, as I said, have a you know they have a high level of universal design in them, but we need to use them as live, kind of living laboratories to figure out how universal design plays out, you know, and how what sort of data it brings back to us about how people are using the building, what, what groups of people are using the building, all those sorts of things, and, and you know, kind of finding, trying to demonstrate and, and looking for the inherent business value in using universal design. So it's kind of a study of the net benefits to kind of determine the many impacts of universal design on uh, the individual community and, as I said, uh, the business value and the economic value of choosing uh, universal design.
1: We've talked a little bit about the benefits of universal design. Can you tell us a bit about the impact universal design has had on communities?
3: Sure. So, our one of our current projects in Grand Rapids, Michigan, the Mary Freebed YMCA, which I talked a little bit about uh, during this conversation. So, we're we're actually in the process of studying those types of impacts uh, in Grand Rapids, based on the fact that. Universal Design was chosen for the Mary Freebed YMCA. Um, So, And we're kind of awaiting uh, data for further study, but we do have access to a lot of early-stage information uh, that's kind of giving us a profile of um, some of the impacts. And one of those is who is using the facility, so kind of user data, uh, information like that. So as of right now, Mary Freebed YMCA, it hosts a lot of adaptive sports-related events, and it also has athletes and a lot of different people with all sorts of different ability levels using the facility. And so that was one of the goals was kind of to try to create a a space for wellness and and health, which is traditionally kind of like an environment where people with, say, someone with a disability or someone with any other ability issue traditionally might not find themselves in that space. Um, So this is kind of changing that. Um, And that's kind of a subtle thing. But the fact that you see people there working out next to people with disabilities also working out um, and, and uh, using the space and just some of the programming that you see there that includes people of all abilities. I think that, you know, that's sort of an impact um, that, that we're seeing already. So more specifically, so we're seeing kind of like greater diversity of ability at the YMCA. And like I said, A gym is kind of a a space that's traditionally less used by people with disabilities or lower abilities or any sort of ability issues, but we're seeing it becoming usable for for everyone, which is sort of like it's meeting an unmet need. So one goal of building something with universal design, obviously, is to kind of see if you can reach more people um, and reach a broader potential user base, and I think that's happening there as we see – People uh, using wheelchairs or different devices, or people, um, elderly people, uh, anybody who has a, a different sort of needs are being are using this space. So obviously, there's an unmet there's an unmet market and need there that that Mary Free Bed YMCA is starting to fill. And then one the last point about this that's important, I think, for universal design in general is kind of showing how as I spoke about it a little bit earlier in the conversation, um, about demonstrating the economic and business value. So right there, the fact that there's an, you're seeing a group that traditionally didn't use a gym, now using the Mary group at YMCA, that's an example of um, you're meeting an unmet need, which means you're, meet, you're accessing a new market. From a business standpoint, you know, what better design philosophy to use than universal design if it's broadening all of the people that could potentially become members So, I mean, those are, to me, without speculating too much, those are some of the early benefits we're seeing, at least in the community of uh, Grand Rapids.
1: That's exciting. What do you see as the
3: future of universal design? Several things. uh, And some of these are kind of through my role at the Global Universal Design Commission, and uh, others are kind of personal hopes, uh, I guess you could say, for universal design. So, Number one, I, you know, I, I think that we're going to see continued adoption with new buildings for, in both commercial and residential applications for universal design. So you'll see more Destiny Arms-type buildings and more Mary Free Red YMCA-type buildings. I, I think that that's a trend as, um, as the value of universal design is demonstrated more and more, um, and that's part of our role at GUDC. And secondly, I think you're going to see, or I'd like to at least see, cities and uh, municipalities start to aim for kind of beyond compliance commitments to access. So not necessarily that we expect the government to come in and say that universal design, you have to do it, but we just want to, de- we want to demonstrate the value enough and we want to see that value demonstrated enough where the city will say, okay, universal design seems like a great idea. It'll benefit everybody. Why don't we step, step it up even though it's, and, and voluntarily do that. And I think another thing you'll see, hopefully, is uh, utilization of universal design across more industries. So we're already seeing uh, Apple and Nike and numerous very large corporations starting to adopt universal design principles in all sorts of environments, so digital environment, product design, um, those sorts of things. So, I mean, I think you'll see a lot more growth there um, because, you know, going back to the numbers and the economic thing, if Nike and Apple are seeing a reason to to do it from a financial and business point of view, beyond just the, the image and the social good, uh, you know, then there's something really to be said for universal design on multiple levels. We've got two more, and these are more along the lines of my own personal hopes for universal design. And a big one for me is, you know, since sensibility and uh, I guess sensibility is a, uh, you know, a universal issue by definition. So it's something that affects us all at different points in our lives or uh, through disability or injury. You know, since sensibility is a universal issue, uh, I think, uh, you know, I'd like to see it become universally recognized as an issue. So uh, that happens when design starts to, you know, kind of reflect how ability really works. Um, And finally, my real big picture goal and uh, kind of, vision for the future is you know uh, just basically a world to see a world designed to represent the realities of ability and the human condition versus just kind of the more short-sighted things of um i guess trying to uh trying to accommodate the best able in society versus trying to build a world around the fact that all of us at different points are at different levels of ability. Um, so that's kind of for me right now, those are some of my future visions for, uh, universal design.
1: What an exciting opportunity to be involved in this. What are the one or two key points you want listeners to take away from this program?
3: Okay. So I, there are obviously numerous points, but, uh, if I got to narrow it down to, you know, the number one for me, uh, that I'd like to kind of let people know about. And I think given your audience and and the connection with ADA and all of that, um, I'm sure that this isn't the first time people have heard this idea, but, you know, uh, just, I'd like people to start to really, not just understand it, but to start, I guess, applying it in the ways that they can, you know, that society isn't, it isn't able-bodied or disabled and that ability is, uh, you know, part of the human condition is that ability Um, changes and it's on a spectrum and it's it's constantly moving for all of us and any of us can become lesser abled at any moment and that to me like universal design works to solve the issues that result from that reality you know so there's an inherent value there uh, for universal design and then secondly that universal design you know we some of my conversations with people about universal design, um, involve, you know, why is it the right thing to do? Uh, why is it the right thing for society? Um, and those, those sorts of goals. Um, but you know, universal design, it isn't just about doing the right thing and it's not just the right thing for designers and anyone else to embrace for society, but it, you know, but it makes economic and business sense, uh, because it opens, um, access to these unmet, these communities that, you know, have unmet needs and, uh, and, you know, if, if we can demonstrate and, and prove that universal design does make this business sense, and we think it does, that will further enable the adoption of universal design uh, across many different uh, industries and, and uh, environments.
1: This is a very interesting topic, and I'm sure our audience would like to learn more about universal design. But we're almost out of time, so I have one more question for you. Where can I find out more about universal design?
2: Three places I can think of offhand are North Carolina's Center for Universal Design website, uh, the the website for Global Universal Design Commission, and the website for the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University. The address for all three websites can be found on the resource list of the adalive.org website. Great,
1: I'm definitely going to check that out. These three resources and additional resources can be found on adalive.org under Resources. I would like to thank Michael Rotella and Diana Foote from the Global Universal Design Commission and the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University. And thank you also to our ADA Live listening audience. Remember, this show will be archived and available on our website at ada-live. The Southeast ADA Center is grateful for your support and participation in this series of WADA, ADA Live broadcasts. You may submit questions about any of our ADA Live topics by going to adalive.org. Please join us again next month on January 4, 2017 for another episode of WADA, ADA Live. If you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, please contact your regional ADA center at 1-800-949-4232. Once again, that's 1-800-949-4232. All calls are free and confidential.
0: Thank you for listening to ADA Live Talk Radio. Brought to you by the Southeast ADA Center. Remember to join us the first Wednesday of each month for another ADA topic. And you can call 1-800-949-4232 for answers to your ADA questions.